What up, what up? Hey, yo. Hey, morning. Good morning. Oh, boy. How are we doing today, sir? Like the second I committed to this, uh, Ada knew that she had to not sleep at all. So I'm praying she stays asleep, but uh, doing good. I'm I'm feeling frosty, got my coffee. Uh, Doing good. How you doing, bud? I'm great. I I'm really proud that Ada is ready to learn about inflation and data custody this morning. <laughs> oh yeah, seven She's weeks old. Eager to learn. <laughs> <laughs> I have actually been reading her all the articles. Uh, I read as like in place of a story, and it works. So yeah, it puts her right to sleep, huh? Pretty much. <laughs> but but yeah, good morning, bud. All right. Well, hey. Yeah. So can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Can you hear me? Yes, for sure. Um, so, Hey everyone, we are starting a test pilot for a daily show each weekday morning. We'll see how long we keep the street going, but we just want to do a quick lightning round fashion exchange. Of course, anyone's free to join the queue and offer thoughts. But we want to keep each episode here limited to 15 minutes maximum just for brevity's sake. So I have put the links in the description of the articles we're going to talk about. They might be crypto. They might be macroeconomic philosophy, whatever's going on, trying to keep it somewhat tangentially related to the crypto blockchain topics. But with that, I, I think that's that's the gist of it. Jake, anything? No, no. I mean, it, yeah, we, we're not starting off directly with, with crypto, but it's a big space. So, um, yeah, shout out to Nathan, first listener. Appreciate it, bud. Yeah, he's bright, bright and, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed like the rest of us here. So the first article is this one from Ben Hunt on epsilon theory about inflation and the common knowledge game i appreciated this i've been thinking a lot about this inflation transitory versus not transitory and also the idea of anti-competitive behavior in the markets how do we level the playing field and i i really thought he connected a lot of different ideas that I've been I've been thinking about a lot of serendipity here. So initially he starts off with the criticism of the White House letter to the FTC mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago about oil companies making money and I sh- think we all are frustrated by that but this is to me my read on this was that they were not doing illegal anti-competitive behavior similar to what OPEC would do, which a cartel system is illegal in the U S but they, those oil companies seem to Mm -hmm. be just changing price on the pricing side. So, um, you know, I think that's just political theater throwing out letters like that. And, and then there were the tweets about, Oh yeah. Criticizing big companies for, for raising prices and making money. And this, I feel like is just, 
there's this demonization of anyone who's making money, I feel. And, you know, we need to make sure that the playing field is accessible. But I don't think that punishing success, punishing successful firms, punishing the ones that are really good, I don't think is the way to do it. I think the way that you need to try to do this is by improving accessibility for the underperforming agents, trying to figure out what's wrong with the, the playing field that might be preventing people from, from moving ahead. And if that means there's a monopoly, then, then examine that. But um, what do you think, Jake? Did you have a chance to read this link? Yeah. I did. It was um, something I saw before I, uh, something I started to notice before I went on paternity leave because I'm, you know, I work for a bank. I manage money. This is a lot of stuff I look at on a daily basis. And yeah, I started seeing reports that companies were not being bent over the barrel by employees demanding higher wages, that they were actually able to increase their margins while increasing, you know, meeting these uh, higher pay requirements from their employees. And so to see it again here, to, to see that, it, yeah, that, that corporations, they're, they're fine. It doesn't really matter what kind of inflationary, deflationary, no inflation, doesn't really matter what environment they're in. They're going to find a way to, to make a profit. So to me, it speaks to something a little more broken on a fundamental level. Um, but, uh, but it was interesting to hear about the common knowledge game. So Explain that a little bit to me. I, I don't know if you, you have a better grasp on that than, than I, I do, but it seemed to me, are, are we talking sentiment here? That is the thrust that sentiment is, is now dominating fundamentals. Yeah. It's that, that common knowledge game is he gives the example of the emperor wears no, wears no clothes or whatever that story is. Right. So the emperor is up there wearing mm-hmm. no clothes. Nobody says anything until a little girl yells it and then everybody hears it and then starts acknowledging it. And I think that's just a comment on narratives. It's like there's this story from the tech bubble that everybody understood the fundamentals were completely out of whack. And it wasn't until there was a Barron's article that somebody made just like a really simple analysis of cash flow ratios or something. And then that article is pointed to as like the moment the bubble popped. And so I think about that with, with this article because it's essentially saying people have been commenting in the market, inflation is here, it's not transitory. And then all of a sudden now you have Powell and, and Yellen and everyone removing transitory from the official official Fed language. And so it's the equivalent of that girl, little girl yelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing out and the the Barron's article in the example I gave. So it's just this example of like people start to murmur in the markets about a thing and that thing doesn't become a self, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, but it doesn't become the narrative until everyone, like there's just an, a, mo- a moment in the market when everyone starts acknowledging a narrative together. And I mean, you can use that concept to make money if you can get in the, on the right side of a trend before the market prices it in, if it, that trend does indeed come, come into mm-hmm. position. So that's what I, that was kind of my takeaway from that. And um, I would encourage people to read the article, but 
Jake, I want to pivot over. We've only got about six minutes left. I wanted to talk a little bit about the data article that you sure. you surfaced here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the article I wanted to bring up today it uh, it is titled uh, "Don't Give Users Control Over Their Data." Uh, bold claim. One on the surface I would disagree with, but there's a lot of context here. Uh, basically, recent updates to regulations in the EU in California have mandated more transparency and control as uh, the critical pillars for privacy protection for consumers' data. Uh, These new regulations um, really give consumers direct control over their data, and it's a noble goal, but the author argues that just with the way our world is set up and the power balance, uh, that this is the equivalent of dropping people off on a sailboat in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea while a thunderstorm rages around them. So it's a very visceral metaphor. Uh, what, he, what he's really saying is that, you know, without first enacting uh, really strong widespread regulations to protect consumers from predatory and unfair practices by the powerful tech industry companies that already gobble up our data, then consumers would just be left with nothing better than a mix of undesirable choices and outcomes The three main regulations he wants to see put in place before consumers are given more control is one, tax companies for the data they collect, which I don't really like. Uh, Two, privacy by design. Uh, So people are given privacy by default and then they can opt in later, which I like, I love. And three, federated learning. So really what we're talking about here, this is one you and I have talked about in our other series. Uh, Instead of allowing all of our data to be sucked into these uh, companies and then the algorithms get run on our data. Instead, why don't we just have companies bring their algorithms to our data with the supercomputers that we have in our pocket with our smartphones? And that way we never really have to give up control of our data. So just reorienting how we think about data possession while still giving companies the ability to achieve these insights that makes our data so valuable. So again, I I like two of the three ideas he proposes. It's just that saying that we need the government to set up this market in a perfect way before we begin to give users control of their data, you're going to be holding your breath for another hundred years. Because to me, I think when you go back through history, the federal government The only time they ever enact widespread regulation, you look at after the Great Depression, Clean Air and Water Act, uh, after the 2008 financial crisis, they're not great with enacting widespread regulation before a crisis. They're not good at preemptive regulation, but they're pretty good at uh, reactive regulation. So I think just open the doors, give users control, deal with that after the fact, figure out what problems pop up and address them as we go. Two reactions to this article from my end. Number one, just because it's hard doesn't mean we shouldn't try. There's a better way. So having blanket statements that saying stuff like this, the clickbait title, it's like, come on. Just because it's hard to, to do doesn't mean we shouldn't try to have a better system. So that's my first yeah. reaction. Second reaction, I think about recycling and how the so so this is where i agree with her or him i don't know but the recycling 
movement was a result of all of the Coca-Colas of the world convincing the public that the waste from the new disposable economy was not actually the company's fault. It was the consumer's fault for not not disposing of it the right way. And so they shifted the cost and the burden of proper waste management to the consumer and, and they just totally absolved themselves. And they were able to convince politicians mm-hmm. to go along with this, regulate, regu- regulate recycling laws the way they are because they, and that was, I don't know, forties, fifties, whenever, when there was opaque trans transmission of information. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where I kind of agree with the point of the author is like, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the companies themselves response have a responsibility here and it's not only the user's responsibility to manage data response on their own. Like that, that is something that we each should be empowered to do, but with it, it's not like an easy thing that we can just do. So because that's, of how that's proliferate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, I, it's I a, kind of agree on one, on the first angle. And then this yeah, it can be difficult. Uh, and I guess for a little background, they point to California, the CCPA, uh, which gives users the right to know about the personal info that's being collected, the right to delete that info, the right to opt out of the sale of their info, and the right to non-discrimination. So a little different from the EU law that is vastly more complex and vague. So um, I, I wouldn't lump all of these different control yeah. over data initiatives together because some of them are baby steps and others are leaps. But um, yeah, so I, I think just go for it. I'm, I'm a little more on that camp, but sounds like, uh, you know, it's treacherous waters no matter how you do it. Yeah, well, hey, this is a great pilot episode. Um, my audio, I think my internet's yeah. a little choppy. I'll, I'll have that fixed next time. But wanted to make sure listeners had a chance to participate if they want. Otherwise, we can wrap it up. We've trying to instill a hard stop but jake will we'll talk tomorrow yeah yeah for sure yeah hey, hold on I, I do want to give yeah if nathan if he wants to ask a question uh would definitely be happy to yeah let's get the guy up here bring him on stage he's muted Nate, if you if you want to chat, you have to unmute the mic. If you don't want to chat, that's okay too. Yeah, no worries either way. Cool. All right. Well, let's chat tomorrow. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but this was a great first episode. Wait a second. Can you hear me? Oh yeah, yeah. We got you now. Yeah, yeah. Was wasn't working. Um. You're good. Yeah, just one thing I was thinking of with like regulation and banking. Um, how do you guys? I mean, how do you think that works with like when you have big, big banks, big corporations, and you have small companies? It seems like the the big companies, big banks, they get they're closer to government, so they they get a kind of a say in the regulation. If there's new regulations, and those tend to benefit the 
the big guys versus the small guys. Um, I mean, is there any solution to that, or what do you guys think about that? Well, I I do work for a bigger bank, um, and I'll tell you, I think you're right uh, that because of the huge amount of regulation banks face, there's an advantage in being big because you can just afford to spread that fixed cost out a bit. Uh, however, at the same time, there's the bigger your company is, the bigger your lobbying budget. And so, yeah, absolutely. The, the banks all kind of get together and they, they have, they all chip in for their lobbying efforts to be represented together. So yeah, I, I would not argue with, uh, with your assertions there, how to make it more fair for smaller banks. I don't think regional banks are held to quite the same strict standards as the major banks, like the liquidity requirements and reserves and uh, stress tests, stuff like that. But um, I, I don't know because yeah, I think having diversity in the financial system instead of just four big banks is, is, is a healthier way to do it. I, unfortunately, I don't know how the best way to organize that would be. Right. Because if if they just consolidate and the big banks buy all the little banks, then you wind up with a too big to fail system, which obviously is not sustainable. Well, it's arguably not not sustainable, right? Or not safe. So I think the answer is narrow banking, having some of that, which I would direct people to our episode from the other day and they, I know you, you were listening to that, but I think that is one way that we can foster healthy competition in the banking industry. And as far as regulations go, I think you just have to somehow hope for the best. I don't know. It's a little hard to be optimistic. Yeah. That's a great point. Nail bank. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thanks guys. But yeah. Really interesting episode. Looking forward to are you. So you guys are doing this every every morning during the week or something? Or we're gonna try. Yes, sir. We're gonna try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool, man. Thank you. Yep. We will chat with you guys tomorrow. Yeah. Sounds good. Talk to you tomorrow. Peace yep. out.